Welcome back, everyone, to a special episode of the Frequency Podcast. I'm Dan Thompson, and I'm joined once again with Joe Brookhouse. How are you, Joe? Good, good. It's a uh, it's a beautiful Sunday evening here in the Northwest, and uh, glad to be here on this special episode. It's special because we have decided that we will post um, new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesdays of each month. Since we're going to post this outside of that schedule, we're going to call this a special episode. We've we've got, I believe, six episodes already in the can ready to go, and there's just some, some great content we don't want to wait to mm-hmm. get out there. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so and this is a special episode because you had the opportunity to catch up with uh, special guest Keith Getty, and we wanted to make sure that we got it into everyone's hands. Um so do you want to just set up what uh, you were talking to Keith about, and then we'll get right to the episode? Uh, you bet. I think what's kind of fun is that um, we ha- we discovered earlier in the week that um, Keith Getty might be available to us, and we jumped right on it. And so he and I connected about their their new album that was filled. Um, sorry, it was. I think you were actually there, weren't you, for the uh, for the recording? Yeah, yeah. I was at the TGC, uh, the Gospel Coalition Conference in Florida, and I, I believe that was April. And uh, they were doing a special recording session in the evening. So I had the opportunity, of course, being a musician and a producer and everything else, I, I wanted to get in on the, the, uh, the per- it was a performance, but it was actually like we were a big choir. So 200 of us got to sing with them. And it was a great experience. And um, I'd like to think I could find myself in the recording, but I, I don't know. But it was a great experience. So uh, yeah, hearing the result of that album is is awesome and uh yeah we definitely wanted to catch up with him when we had the opportunity to to share about that so why don't we uh let's just jump right into interview and we can chat on the other side about uh about what led into that because there's some from my side some humor behind some of that interview great all right well let's jump right into the interview with joe brookhouse and keith getty Hey, it's bright and early on Friday morning. This is Joe Brookhouse at Frequency, and we have a special guest for you today. We're welcoming uh, composer and pioneer of modern hymns, Keith Getty, uh, with his wife, Kristen. They have released uh, Live at the Gospel Coalition. Good morning, Keith. It is morning, right? Good morning, Joe. It's an early start to a new morning. I'm just back late last night from Atlanta, or as my little daughter says, at Santa. (laughs) <laughs> so I have, I, have, I, have, I have been having lots of my little daughter's attention ever since I got back, um, but all the better for it. Yeah, she's what, about two and a half these days? She is, she is two and a half, and don't forget the half when you're in trouble. No, I understand that. I got a little one myself. Yeah. So this morning I want to definitely want to talk to you about the album, um, but I also want to get into a little bit about writing, if that's okay, in the time that we've got together. Sure. Um, but first thing I want to say is I've, I've listened to the album uh, probably three times in the last couple of days. Oh, cool. And one of the things that's really striking to me, well, first of all, if I can listen to an album more than once, um, that's a good sign for me because uh, it's really easy to get, uh, I get bored easily. But there's just an infectious energy 
uh, about this album that goes beyond what I'm used to hearing on live albums. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Did you feel that energy when you were recording it? Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was. It was just. It was. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was. There wasn't. There isn't a lot of added stuff to it. But that's pretty much what it was, as you can probably hear. I think there's about there's I think there's three extra backing vocals added in five places, um, but they're way back in the mix. But apart from that, that is pretty much the recording. That's, that's pretty much just what was happening in the room. But we, Kristen and I, have a have a great band, and and um, uh, and it's an, it's a it's a little bit of a different band. You know, it's a, it's a it's a rock band bass, but you've got a you've got a traditional traditional Irish guitarist and a Elian Piper. Who plays a bunch of mandolins, and then you have got a, a, a fiddler as well. So you've just got a little bit of variety in the whole mix too. Well, there, yeah, definitely, it was striking in terms of uh, the arrangements. I wasn't uh, expecting some things. I heard your uh, the fourteenth track on there. Hear the the call of the kingdom. I mean, that's it starts out that's funk that yeah. you're playing right there, so, um, and that really. I mean, I I stopped, rewound it, and started that one over again because I'm like, did I just hear that? Sure. Who did the arrangements on the album? Um, uh, most of the arrangements came from four members of the band. Um, myself and four members of the band put a lot of stuff together. The, the funk one was little Dave Cleveland. Uh, most of the Irish bits are a guy called Finon de Barra, um, who's one of the finest Irish traditional musicians anywhere, really. Um, and that, that was good. Um, then we had um, uh, a couple of bluegrassers who played with us, didn't play with us that week, Jeff Taylor, well-known Nashville session musician, uh, and Ross Holmes. Um, who's who's currently just finishing tonight? Actually, just finishing a three-year run as as the fiddle player for for a band called Mumford and Sons, and they oh, they, yeah. put, they put a lot of high energy into some arrangements as well. And then we brought in Dan Needham come in to play drums for this tour, and so when he arrived in, we we just we just put a lot of things together. And the other thing I think which helped with the energy levels was a dear friend of mine, Ed Cash, who many people associate with the sort of the other side of contemporary music. He's yes. the most successful worship song producer ever with Tomlin Crowder and all those guys for years. He and I are both, are, 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 live near each other and we're both closet bluegrass fans. We go to bluegrass concerts together and we had said, he'd, he'd been to our shows in town and he said, you know, we should really try and combine our styles and write a song. So we combined our styles and wrote a song which was Christ has risen, he has risen indeed. And we ended up doing a second one. We did these both with Kristen. We did a second one called Lift High the Name of Jesus. And then he said, I said, but could you produce our live album? Because I don't know how to do it. I've never done a live album. I don't know what I'm doing. And he came in and just sat with the band a couple of times. And I think he just, you know, he, he's, he's so respectful of our music. He's such an incredible gentleman. He doesn't, he doesn't try to make you sound like him. But he just, he just did a few things with the songs that just, that just added energy. You know, so that, and then bringing in Dan Needham and the drums. I think, I think, I think your comment about an infectious energy and just a little more energy is, is, is available. And you also allowed him to work a bridge into uh, a song. How did, how did that happen? Well, that was that was that was the funniest discussion. So he goes, "Can't we do a bridge?" And I said, "No, I hate bridges in your songs. I wish you wouldn't do it." And he goes, "Well, we got to do a bridge. The song has to be." I said, "No, I'm never going to write a bridge to a song." <laughs> so our compromise was that, "In Christ is risen, is risen indeed." Uh, we came up with a third section, which is like a bridge at the end of the song. So instead of a bridge before the final chorus, you finish with a bridge, which means all my all the churches that like our hymns can just sing the song and leave the third section off. And then all the churches that want a third section um, can, can go to the third section. And all the churches that are really, really Pentecostal can go around the third section about 20 times. <laughs> but it was good. It's um, What I never told him was, it was, it was the same structure as, as one of the Scottish metrical psalms. 
it was exactly what we did. So I'm actually claiming that it was actually a hymn structure in the end. Um, but one, one of the metrical psalms goes to a third section, goes to an alleluia. And so we did, um, we did this He's Alive section in two parts, like the alleluia in two parts. Um, and so it's, it's been really wonderful. It's been a, a great new energy to what we're doing. Excellent. No, you definitely feel that when you're listening to the album. I think I read correctly that one of the melodies was actually written at a rugby match. Is that true? See What a Morning? Yeah, yeah. No, that See What a Morning didn't make the album. Um, although it's a great ver- it's a great version of the song. Um, but See What a Morning, yeah, that was a, that was, that was a rugby melody. That was, that was Ireland beating England, which is, i got to tell you, is a pretty, pretty good feeling, Joe. Oh, so were you watching it live, or were you watching it on the TV? Oh, here on the TV. Oh, okay. Because my daughter used to play rugby, so it's hard for me to imagine girl playing rugby oh yeah she's fierce so that's, uh, that's frightening uh she is frightening I, I get out of her way i had a sister who was a, who was played for her school's hockey and um and you know when the opponents had somebody who was who was beginning to dominate the game my, my sister was more than capable of living in many ditches i i enjoy hearing that stuff well how did you uh, how did you manage to write a melody while you're while you're uh, focusing on the match <laughs> no well i, I gotta tell you as a writer as a writer, I've learned a couple of things. I haven't learned that much, and I, and I, have, I certainly don't feel I've really improved that much as a writer. But having done it now for 10 to 15 years, 13, 13 years of the hymns and 15, 16 years overall, um, there's a couple of things I've learned. One is that melodies don't always come when you're sitting at your table or sitting in the studio or sitting in a writing session. Um, but the second thing I've learned is that melodies never come unless you're sitting in the studio or sitting at a writing session. In other words, if I'm going through a phase where I'm writing, where I'm tr- sitting down every day, even for an hour, just to try and write some new tunes, half my tunes will come by listening and working at it, and half my tunes will come in those days, in the middle of the night, or when you're walking, or when you're going somewhere else, or you're having a conversation. In other words, you've got to be trying. You've got to be trying to get the results, but the results quite often click at funny moments, it's a, it's 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 one of the most bizarre forms of work I think around. <laughs> it is. So, what do you do when you wake up at two in the morning and you've got a melody in your head? You you write it down and you sing it into your iPhone, or if your wife sorry, you run downstairs and you record it in your garage band. <laughs>
Well, let, let me ask you a couple questions since we're talking about writing a little bit. You know, one of the things that I, I read relates to when you sat down to co-write with, um, with Stuart Townend that first time. He agreed yeah. to, to sit with you once. Is that right? Just once? Yeah, yeah. And so when you went into that, I imagine there's a bit of pressure to, um, to perform, as it were, when you're sitting there. Uh, and I'm wondering, first of all, um, how did you compose yourself, no pun intended, for that session? And I realize this goes back 12 years. Stuart Turner really was my was my teacher. And so I um, I think the first time we got together, we got together for coffee. And um, and he said, you know, just send me your tune. But we didn't even write anything. He goes, look, this is for coffee. Just send me your tune and I'll see what I think about it. And I sent him one of my tunes. And that tune became in Christ alone. So... It was actually, in one sense, the easiest writing session I've ever done, and the most successful one. And there's, there's still, there's still, to be honest, a strong argument that I should have given up. My brothers and sisters said, like, you should just have given up after one song because you, you you're just getting worse all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfair. You know, it's, yeah. it's like when people have a great first album, people are in the sophomore slump. I'm like, it's because they jam every song they've, every good song they've written over the past ten years onto that first album. And uh, and then you get in you know what, the leftovers when you get to the sophomore album I and mean, that's not fair. Drawing those conclusions, the only conclusion I can possibly have is that that, that I only actually had one good idea. <laughs> I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. But uh, you know, one of the things I was wondering is you know uh, I don't know how much co-writing you do outside of with Stuart, but as I'm um, talking to other songwriters, you know, who are trying to to make their way the first time they go into a co-writing session can you give me some perspective on what you yourself would do to prepare for such a session and just even especially if it's somebody that intimidates or you dearly respect uh, co-writing I think is an unusual thing I mean nearly all my writing has come with has come with Kristen and Stuart you know yeah. uh, that's because they're such trusted relationships um now, outside of Kristen Stewart, I have co-written a lot, but most of it has, I'm quoting some, but most of it has just been the extension of friendships. In fact, almost all of the co-writers I've written with outside of them haven't been songwriters. In other words, it's just been somebody who our lives have intersected, and they've come up with an idea, and that idea has been enough of a stimulus for me to produce something, you know? So, yeah. so, so it's interesting. The rhythm of it is interesting. But you haven't necessarily gotten in. I know you're in Nashville now, but you haven't necessarily ended up where you're um, put in a room with a stranger and say, you know, come up with a song in the next two hours. I've tried that. No, it's great here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to imagine that myself. But I'm not that kind of guy. But you know, for some people that works. For some people, the the discipline and the system of you know, this is my three hour session. This is my session. It becomes just it's a job. I mean, someone's been thinking about it smart because, I mean, you're trying to find, as a writer, I'm trying to find the next song that is really exciting, but that that, that is in my style, but you know, it is my voice, but it just takes my voice to even place. So it kind of makes sense if you line up writing sessions with eight or ten brilliant guys, and they want to write with you, they can help move your, move your dial 30 degrees and find something new, you know? So there's definitely logic to it. I, I, I can see how it works. But it's uh, not necessarily for you. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. You know, one thing I wanted to, to comment on, uh, I, I mentioned my co-host, uh, Dan Thompson, was at the recording of the album. One of the things right. that he said was that um, he was astonished at the quality 
of uh, of of Kristen's voice. Now, he's a, a producer and does lots of recording in, a, in an age where um, there's a lot of um, correction that you're able to do in a recording. Um, he was it, it was notable how right on she is as a singer. Does she ha- does she train? And work at that, or is she one of those people that discussed us all that just has a, a, a just a lovely, natural singing voice? I, I think it's a little of both. I mean, Kristen, Kristen can't even read music. Kristen just got up. I mean, I'm a classical musician. I'm a Kristen. She just sings away, you know. And um, if, you, if she hears a chord she doesn't like, she goes, "Have you got like a happier chord or a sadder chord or, or a higher chord and lower chord?" And you know, so she's not. So in that sense, she is an absolute total natural. That said. She does 60 shows a year, and she does um, perhaps 20 broadcasts or appearances outside of that as well. And um, you don't live at that speed and not be able to. So what, 10 years ago, the lady the lady that actually coaches Beyonce as a, as a vocalist said she would take her on as a vocal coach just to help her. And um, and that has been a really good thing. Um, you know you know the old phrase that you don't, no, nothing, nothing sounds that good naturally unless you work really hard at it. And, um, I think there's a degree degree where that's also been a real help to her and bolster her. She she takes serious the importance of you know you know working out the gifts that God has given us. And um, but it was but it was a good album. I'm so thankful he said that. It's, I'm really really pleased that I, I I made two or three late last minute decisions about the album and flipped some songs on and that weren't in the original list. But, um, and of course you know they had and they listened to them. So well, they said, what happens if there's not a tune? No, what do we want to do? And, they listened to the tracks and Ed Cash texted me and said, "Not a single had a tune note in the whole song. These are two songs." And so they didn't, you know, they didn't have to mess with the vocal. I mean, they just took her vocal as it was sung that day. You know, so she'd probably been she'd probably been holding her daughter off stage. We told her to get on stage. She just heard her daughter and took a drink of water, walked on stage, sang the song, got off. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's not a track mate. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, Dan's got a really good ear for hearing, like where auto tune or something kicks in. He can, and he's like, "There's just, there's nothing like that on this album." And of course, he was there, so he knows that's just what came out. So that's really remarkable. Tell him if he comes next time, and we're there. We'd love to meet him. Oh, absolutely, great. Well, I had I had one other question, so I'll just throw it out there real quick. Uh, one thing I read in a uh, Christianity Today that you said was that you grew up and you, you didn't listen to pop music; it was always church music. Um, yes. So what I was going to ask is now, as as an adult, uh, what are you listening to music-wise outside of what you write? Oh, it's a good question, uh, and the answer for today is, is not enough. I think this year the music of the album of the year. If, I, if your question is what is your album of the year, I think it has to be the new Civil Wars album. Oh yeah, and, that, and that's not just because we share a producer, but yeah. I think that that is the best thing. And Charlie Peacock, I, I think that is the best album I've heard this year. Excellent. Um, but but you know, always always trying to find new things. The, the band I'm most excited about is Chess Boxer. 
um, which is the Ross Holmes who was playing with for his his new instrumental band. Um, so those two, yeah. If you want to listen to something that's interesting to hear, try those two things. I'll uh, I'll uh, cue them up as soon as I get off the phone. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. You bet. Have a great morning. I really appreciate your time, sir. Take care. All right. Thank you, Joe. Bye. And there you go. That was our interview with Keith Getty. What'd you think, man? Yeah, Joe. Uh, like you said in the interview, uh, her voice is is uh, you know perfect pitch. It's it's bang on, and uh, you know the songwriting is quality and song delivery is quality. So I really appreciated their music, and I appreciated the time being able to spend uh, singing with them and a whole crew of other people down in Florida. Yeah, it definitely translates to the recording. Uh, one thing I want to comment on on the actual interview, you may know that we talk about very uh, <clears throat> at the outset of the interview that it's early. And that's because uh, quite literally when we were supposed to start the interview, Keith was still in bed and they had to wake him up and bring <laughs> him out so that he and I could have the discussion. So there's a whole little bit that you don't hear that I cut out where he's bragging about how he's been up for hours and he went to the gym and took his daughter to swim lessons. And he goes, no, no, I just got up two minutes ago. <laughs> so, so we had a lot of fun. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, but you'll notice that this is probably one of our shorter interviews because, um, he, he was literally, I was the first interview on a full day of interviews. So, um, we were just happy to get uh, 15, 20 minutes to chat with him. It was, but it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> great. All right, Joe. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll sign off for now, but um, we look forward to the next post, which will be on a Tuesday. Yeah, it should be next week. I'm excited about that. As I am re-editing it, I'll talk to you about that next time. Great. Well, for now, thanks, Joe, and uh, God bless. God bless. Bye. Podcast. Looking to the past, reaching forward to the future, forward. The Frequency Podcast.